0: We celebrate today the death, the burial, and the resurrection of our Lord. You know how important is this weekend? How important is the resurrection? Let me tell you, if it's not for the resurrection, then we don't have any Christianity. I mean, that's really what the Apostle Paul said. The apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, well, this is scripture. It says, And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. If the resurrection never happened, then all that we believe falls flat. And then he goes on to say, and we're a bunch of liars. But that's not so, because we know the tomb is empty. We have eyewitnesses of over 500 people that saw Jesus alive, came back to life. We know that Jesus is, is alive and all of christianity is built on that thought that 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 basis of who jesus is you see jesus he wanted to come be with us and we see a picture of that we've been talking about this for seven weeks over the past seven weeks we've been talking about the tabernacle in the old testament now you, you got you got to help me. I'm not sure the last time, other than a funeral or a wedding, that I actually preached with a suit on. So, this is this coat might be coming off soon. I don't know. Just throw it at a bunch of yeah, fallovers. You never know what's going to happen on Easter Sunday. We've been studying the tabernacle. And for some of you, if, you, if you're not used to uh, church or you're not, you haven't studied the Old Testament much, you, you, you're like, well, what's the tabernacle? Well, let me, just, uh, let me just kind of bring you in on the thought. Here, here's the big thing. You've probably heard of Moses. Have you heard of Moses? Uh, uh, Charlton Heston um, uh, or, you know, King of Egypt. Maybe you've seen those. I don't know. But you know that, that all of, of God's people were enslaved. Uh, and, and God God's told Moses, stand before Pharaoh, say, tell them, let my people go, that they might worship me. And, and so finally, uh, Pharaoh responded, and, and so God's children were freed. And Moses starts leading them through the desert. And for 40 years, they were led through the desert. But right at the very beginning, God says, but I, I, I want to I be with you. In fact, this is the way he said it in Exodus chapter 25, verse 8. Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I'll dwell among them. I mean, that alone right there, we could just sit back and say, let's just meditate on that. I mean, the fact that the God of the universe, the one who created the stars and, the, and put them in their place, the one who, who breathed life into Adam, the one who breathed life into man, the creator of all, the king of the world, wants to dwell with us. And that's exactly what he did. Uh, um he, as, as we studied the tabernacle our goal was always to see not just what's the tabernacle but um but how does this point us to Jesus in fact this is what the tabernacle looked like we had we had aerial photography footage that we were able to go back it's amazing what the internet can do and remember it wasn't Moses sitting around it's like I think we ought to build a tent, maybe a place for God to dwell among us. No, God said, I want to dwell among you. And so, and so. They built this tabernacle, and, and as we enter the, the tabernacle, we, we've talked about this for seven weeks, so if you're interested in more teaching on any of this, um, then you can go back and listen online or on YouTube or whatever, but we, we talked about how they would enter the gate, this, this whole thing is tabernacle, they'd enter the gate, psalmist wrote, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart, I will enter his courts with praise, this is the, uh, the outer court right here, and so they'd enter through that gate, and they'd go to the outer court, the very first place they'd hit would be the altar. You see, God wanted to dwell among his people, but here's the challenge. Uh Uh-oh. How does a holy God dwell among a sinful people? How does a holy God dwell amongst a sinful people? You might even remember all the way back to Genesis. God told Adam and Eve that the result of their sin was going to be death. God, however, had mercy on humankind and provided them with a way to temporarily cover their sin. It was an offering of a sacrifice for their sins. God said, if you sacrifice something, that will it won't please me, but it will appease me, is what God said. And so he said, if you sacrifice, so, so what they would do, so that a holy God could dwell among his people, they'd bring a sacrifice. Washing, they would wash their feet. They would wash their hands, and this is also interesting in that it, it really points to once once you've received the sacrifice of what Jesus did for us, we know in the New Testament. But once they took care of the sacrifice, then they would go to that and they would wash themselves. It has a little bit of a picture of really of water baptism. it's because once you and I are saved, the next call. Right away is let's just get water baptized and let's go and uh, uh, in, and in, in, in join Jesus in baptism. In Romans six verse four it says, "We are therefore buried with Him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised, that so we too may live a new life." And can I just say something to you? If you've never been water baptized, what are you waiting for? If you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, it's time. Next week, we've got already about 11, maybe 12 different people that are going to be water baptized here in the midst of our service. It's going to be another great Sunday. I'd love to have you join us. Join us. You can go online. You can uh, register for it there, and and we'll get some more information to you. But it's going to be a great service as people give public testimony of what God's doing in their lives. But as we go back to my tabernacle here, next up then is there's this tent. Now, the thing about this tent that's part of the tabernacle, Tent, you see on the right hand side is this table of shoe bread, showbread. It's a table of bread. And of course, we, we talked about how that points to the, the, the fact that Jesus is what? The bread of life. And on the left hand side, you see this golden uh lampstand. And that's pointing to the fact that what Jesus is the light of the world. And then we talked last week about the altar of incense. And, and we compared this, uh, uh, this is like the worship and the prayers of the saints rising up to the Lord. And we know Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father right now. You say, what happened to Jesus after he died? He rose again. He was down here for 40 more days. And then he, he, he went up. <laughs> What's he doing now? Is he just having siesta? Is he just kind of just relaxed? Woo, Father, those people were a mess. Thanks for bringing me up. Uh, beam me up, Father. I mean, was it, was it was he just gonna just have a little little time to relax finally? Ooh, being the savior of the world—that's a lot of weight, Father. No, it's, the Bible says this: He's sitting at the right hand of the Father, ever interceding for you and for me. How awesome is that? Oh, you need to listen to last week's message. You'll get more of that. But but that altar of incense is is, is it, it fills that room with that smell, the incense, like the prayers and the worship of the saints. And so then, now, it's time to go to the place that only the high priest could go. Only the high priest. It's the, it's the most holy place. It's time to, uh, you, you, see, you see the, the lampstand, you see the table of the bread, the altar of incense, but then there's this, this curtain, and of course it's cut out so you can see what's inside there. But beyond that curtain, there's only one person that could go beyond that curtain, not just any priest, it was the high priest. And he'd only go once a year on the day of atonement. And I may say more about that soon, but this place was labeled off limits. Because God's a holy God, and, and you, you didn't want to mess around. You can read the, the book of Exodus, and, and you can read the book of Leviticus and, and Numbers, and, and you can see what would happen if someone would be like, you know... As I'm checking out the candlestick here, I just thought, what if I accidentally just kicked the curtain open a little bit and just kind of take a little see in the Holy of Holies there? The most holy, what if, what if I said, whoa, whoopsies, absolutely fell into the curtain? Well, your life would be taken from you at that point because the Holy God told you not to do that. Here's the important piece. Only once a year could you go past that curtain in the the most holy place. Um, It's It's off limits. As I was preparing for this message, I was thinking about that idea of being off-limits. And I was reminded of a time when I was a kid. Why? Sometimes I don't know where illustrations come to me. I just, I'm just, just sit, sit let me have some time to think and I'll come up with something. And, uh, but I was just thinking about, I was thinking about this one Sunday when my friend Jared called me. It was Sunday morning. He's like, hey, Scott. We're fifth grade, fifth grade. Hey, Scott, want to come over to my house after church? I was like, okay. I'll come over to your house. and See, here's the thing about Jared's house. Jared had a pool. And I knew every time we went over there to swim, um, uh, after we swam, there was always hot dogs on the grill. It just always. And as a fifth grade boy, can I tell you, those, those, I would live for that. Yes. uh, Swimming and hot dogs. And so, after church, went over to Jared's house and we were swimming and this might surprise you as a fifth grade young man, we got bored. So we're like, he's like, hey, you wanna see my fort? I was like, Oh uh, sure i 'll go see your fort where 's your fort and so he we, we walked down the street and over a couple blocks and and there was this empty lot in his in his housing addition where no one had built any houses and and um and so uh so what I later learned was there's two groups of boys that had built forts on that property and and then um so he showed me his fort and i 'm like, oh cool you know i wasn 't really a fort type maker type person, but okay, this is great. This is a fort Wow. And next thing you you know, out of nowhere, pops up this kid who's bigger than us and says, Hey, Jared. I was like, oh, this isn't going good so far. Uh, He's like, why'd you guys mess up our fort? Come to find out Jared and his friends didn't like these other boys. They both had forts on the same piece of land. And Jared and his friends had just that day before destroyed the other guy's fort. Yeah. And this guy was bigger than us. I mean, you're... Just get the idea of like uh, Scott Farkas coming out, you know, uncle, uncle, uncle. I mean, just say uncle, say uncle. I mean, you, your Christmas story, Scott Farkas, some of you, did. maybe some of you, okay, Hal Roach's uh, Little Rascals, you know, Butch on Little Rascals, just coming out there. That's what this kid was. I mean, it was straight up Little Rascals for about the next five minutes. I was waiting for Stymie and and and, and Buckwheat and everyone just to jump out because I was like, this is nuts because he said, I'm going to give you guys a knuckle Sandwich, and when I heard the words knuckle sandwich, that's when I got really nervous because I was like, I just want to swim and eat hot dogs. I, I, I wasn't thinking knuckle sandwiches. I'm thinking hot dogs. And, and so Jared and I were trying to make our way to the direction of his house, and the kid kept standing between us. And, his, and, and he's like, you need to keep your hands off. Stay out of our... You can, don't ever come on, and I'm going to give you a knuckle sandwich. And at this point, Jared almost started crying. I, I, he might not admit to it, but he did. And when I saw that, I, I, was, I was concerned. Should I match that emotion? What should I do? <laughs> should I stay calm? I don't know. And then out of nowhere, this kid who's like maybe twice as big as all of us, who happened to be one of Jared's friends, yes, came in and stood up to that, that butch and and said, Listen, you you let them go home. Jared, and whatever your name is pointing to me, go home. Go go to Jared's house, go home. And and the kid, I'll never forget, he stood there, he was still mad, and he gave in. He said, But don't you ever don't you ever step foot on our, our fort again. This is off limits. He used those words. I remember. This is off limits. Our fort is off limits to you. How does that fit with the tabernacle? Well, let me tell you. <laughs> Just the idea of that being off limits. You're not talking a knuckle sandwich here, people. You're not talking a, a bloody nose. You're talking, what are you talking? You're talking, you're, you'll be dead. Because a holy God. I'm, in fact I'm gonna talk about this next week. I'm gonna talk about what it what it means. Be holy as I am holy. God says God's word says that. What does that mean for us? We're talking about that next week. But there's a holy God. And and you can't go any further into that most holy place. Why? What was in there? Well let's let's talk about that for a second. Um, in fact, uh, here's a closer, closer picture of what that ark may have looked a bit like. Something like this. If if you have your Bibles. This was the cross, the resurrection. Aren't we going to get to that? We'll get to that. Just hang on. Just hang on. But I just want to put it in the context of the tabernacle here in the most holy place in the ark. Have them make a chest of acacia wood. This is Exodus 25 verse 10. Two and a half cubits long and a cubit and a half wide, cubit and a half high. Overlay it with pure gold both inside and out and make a gold molding around it. Cast four gold rings for it and fasten them to its four feet with two rings on one side and two rings on the other. Then make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Insert the poles into the rings on the sides of the chest to carry it. The poles that remain in the rings of this ark, they're not to be removed. Then put in the ark the testimony which I will give you. Make an atonement cover of the pure gold, two and a half cubits long and a cubit and a half wide. And make two cherubim out of hammered gold at the ends of the cover. Make one cherub on one end and the second cherub on the other. Make the cherubim of one piece with the cover at the two ends, the cherubim are to have their wings spread upward and overshadowing of the cover with them. The cherubim are to face each other, looking toward the cover, place the cover on the top of the ark, and put in the ark the testimony, which I will give you, the Ten Commandments. There above the cover between the two cherubim that are over the ark of the testimony, look what it says. I will meet with you and give you all my commands for the Israelites. Clearly, this is... Of all the pieces of the tabernacle, if you've been with us for several weeks, this is probably the most amazing, most holy, most sacred pieces of all the furniture in the tabernacle. If you would have just, at a a first glance, you would have thought, well, that's a nice chest, like a wooden chest, mm, covered in gold, a little unusual, (laughs) covered in pure gold, beautiful gorgeous, but really, it, it, when you, it, it's, it's a, it's a chest and, it, and some of you, you, you've studied cubits, and you know what a cubit is. Let me just try to help you figure out a little more how many feet that is. Um, actually, if you know and you've studied cubits, I'd like to talk to you later on, because you, you're smart, um, but it says, it was about three feet, nine inches long, so think, let's just think about four feet, whatever, about two feet, three inches wide, and about two feet, three inches high, it had four feet or posts, one on each corner and rings on each of the feet through which the poles, which would never be moved. Some of the other pieces of the, uh, the tabernacle, some of you have been with us, you remember that they'd take the poles out. Not these ones. They'd leave them in all the time. Why, why were there poles? Because this was the tabernacle. And as, the peop, as, as a, God's people would move through the desert, through the wilderness, what would happen? They would pick up the tabernacle and they'd move it with them. And then they'd reset it up and they'd move it with them. And eventually they built a, a temple, and, and then eventually we have Herod's temple, which is the one that was there when Jesus, the tabernacle turned into the temple. Just put that away in your thinker. On top of it would be the atonement cover, and this is an appropriate title for this object since atonement is a central theme for the entire tabernacle, the whole thing, and the whole sacrificial system we're talking about where where God would be appeased by an animal and, and by that shed blood. The lid of the ark was solid gold. It was pure gold. And then you got that mercy seat on the top of the atonement cover featuring two cherubim, two angels, one at each end, facing each other, wings extended and touching. The images of these creatures were also woven into the decoration of the curtain in the most holy place. The term mercy seat comes from a Hebrew term to cover and it really has that idea of atonement, atoning for our sins. Now, don't, don't tune out because I'm giving a lot of explanation here because I'm going somewhere with this. On the only day of the year, one, one day a week, or excuse me, one, once a year, the day of atonement, the high priest would go into this most holy place. And um, uh, on that day, the, the blood of a sacrifice would be sprinkled on the mercy seat and accomplish the covering of the sins for the nation for that year. And so you, you, you get this idea that here in this chest is where the Ten Commandments was. The the, the, the testimony, the, the, um, the Ten Commandments that God gave Moses. So they, they put those in there. Above would be God's glory that would hover. Remember, um, it would be a cloud in the day and a fire by night that would be over this. And God's glory would would dwell above, and then there's that, that mercy seat where the atoning blood was placed. Do you know the central reasons you were ever even created was to have a personal relationship with God and to bring glory to him through that. You're like, Scott, I don't know if my life even has purpose. Let me tell you, if you're still breathing, your life has purpose. God has a purpose for you. He has a plan for you. And that's to bring glory and point other people to him and bring glory to him. And and, and even though everything we see in the tabernacle just points to the fact that God loves you. He wants to know you. He wants to connect with you. Now let's turn our focus on what was in the box. Once again, what was in that Ark of the Covenant? Well, luckily... We have a, a great prophet, Indiana Jones. Just joking, he's not a prophet. Da da, da 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 I thought about bringing the hat, the whip, but but he he was searching what the Ark of the Covenant. But it's not necessarily um, a, a wise. Thing. But anyhow, uh, what was in the Ark of the Covenant? What, what did they put in there? Well, what, what we've already studied. We've already, already looked at this in Exodus 25, 16. Then put in the ark the testimony which I will give you. The testimony was another name for the Ten Commandments. Okay, what else was in there? Well, Hebrews 9:4 gives us a picture. Check this out. Which had the golden altar of incense and the gold, gold-covered ark of the covenant. This ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant. Now, we could just jump over that. Let's move on. Let's get to the resurrection. Let's go eat some ham. But I know you well enough to know, why are those things in that box? What's the importance of all those things being? I know you're all just like, I cannot go eat ham, macaroni and cheese, green bean, casserole, whatever it is. I cannot eat until I find out what's the importance of those things. Well, let's talk about the jar of manna. They are contained the gold the gold jar of manna. What, what, what is this? Well, you, you might remember um, uh, in, when, in Exodus chapter 16, 33, look at this. It says, so Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it, then place it before the Lord to be kept for generations to come. Just a reminder, When I already told you, God's people were coming out of Egypt, out of slavery, and as they're traveling around, how did they eat? There wasn't a Chick Fil A. There wasn't a McDonald's. There wasn't uh, what. What there was is there was manna from heaven, because every morning they would wake up. You read it every, for forty years. I mean, you ever get tired of your? Uh, you know what? you I, I'm actually I could eat the same thing all five days a week and I'm good. But my family they like a little uh, little something extra. Can you imagine eating manna? It, it'd be like dude, like. You're This morning, if you looked outside early, you saw frost on the ground, and that would be like what they would eat. It wasn't frost. It was actual like bread, a bread-like substance, and they would collect that all. It only lasts one day, and God says, I never want my people to forget how I provided for them. Take some of this manna, put it in a jar, and put it in there. Okay. What about the staff? Aaron's staff. Let me tell you the story behind that. So we got the Ten Commandments, we got the manna, and then we got the staff. There were over 250 men who rose up against Moses and Aaron in Numbers chapter 16. You don't have to turn there, but there was a bunch of dudes just rose up against Moses and Aaron, and God took care of them. Uh, they were in sh- straight rebellion, and you can see how all that went down. But as, as a way to kind of reaffirm the, the, uh, uh, the leadership of Aaron... And, and how God had really called them to be the priesthood to, to the Levites and Aaron and, and his people. God said, I, what I want you to do is, is I, w- I want to take one staff from all the 12 tribes. And we're going to put that in front of the Ark of the Covenant. And that's where we catch up with Numbers chapter 17, verse 8. Look on the screen. It says, the next day Moses entered the tent of the testimony. Entered the, the tent we're talking about. The, uh, okay. And, and saw that Aaron's staff... Which represented the house of Levi had not only sprouted <laughs> a staff, a piece of wood, had miraculously sprouted, but had budded and blossomed and produced almonds. I could use one of those every once in a while. Maybe salt them a little bit. That'd be all right. The Lord said to Moses, Put back Aaron's staff in front of the testimony, be kept as a sign to the rebellious. This will put an end to their grumbling against me so they will not die. Moses did just as the Lord commanded. Here's here's the importance of these three items. Let me tell you. First off, what's the importance of these three items? First, 10 commandments. 10 commandments, a testimony. The law was given by God and it it reminded the people that God would protect them if they would just be obedient to him. When when, when God's people were obedient and followed the commands that he had given them, they were doing okay. Okay. But as you read the Old Testament, you see how many times they wandered off. And so they said, put that Ten Commandments in there as a reminder of that. Second thing with that jar of manna. This was the food that God miraculously provided in the desert. And he always wanted them to remember that he was the one who supernaturally provided for their every need. The jar reminded the people that God constantly provides for their every need. Let's come back to that in a second. Aaron's staff, though. Aaron's staff. This staff proved that Aaron was chosen by God. Aaron and his tribe, the Levites, were God's choice as Israel's priests and as, to be leaders of the priesthood. It, it also points to how dead things, like a wooden staff, can supernaturally be brought back to life. oh some of you are getting ahead of me. Because, you know, as we've, as we've looked at this stuff in the tabernacle, the idea wasn't like, Oh, let me just fill my head with knowledge. Boy, that's great. No, it's how does the tabernacle point us to what? To Jesus. Because every time we read the Old Testament, we should always read it with the New Testament in mind. Hmm, okay. So where's Jesus in all this? Oh, I don't know. Everywhere in the testimony the 10 commandments jesus said this in matthew chapter 5 verse 17 don't think that i've come to abolish that law abolish that 10 commandments abolish that testimony or the prophets i've come to not to abolish them but to fulfill them That's our Lord. Jesus came and fulfilled the law of God for us in that jar of manna. Jesus said in John chapter 6 verse 48 I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread he will live forever. That's talking about Jesus. As you see the, the dew, uh, the, 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 the bread begin to form if you were there in that time when those Israelites were traveling, and as that bread came down seemingly from heaven, that's a, that's a picture of Jesus coming down, and he is our bread of life. Well, what about the rod? Ah, the resurrection. In Aaron's staff, we see a wooden staff, which was dead, supernaturally coming to life in jesus we see the one who says to martha in john chapter 11 verse 25 i am the resurrection and the life he doesn't say i'm gonna be resurrected he doesn't just say that he doesn't he doesn't say this after the fact you know i was resurrected he said it's not just i'm gonna be i am the resurrection the power of life and death is in my hands he's saying I am the resurrection. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, he said. Same question I would have for all of us here today. Do we believe this? That he really is the resurrection. All of these items were placed in the most holy place inside of the Ark and the Covenant where God's glory would dwell. Now, I left off one piece of the the one piece of the holy place and it's the it's the most holy place and let me just finish with this if you can bring that tabernacle back up beyond the first room in that tent uh, that's the holy place you get to the most The interesting thing about this that I want you to get is the curtain closed off most of the holy place. Preventing entering from anyone from entering. You couldn't even gaze into it or even get a fleeting glimpse of the interior of the most holy place. Symbolizing that sinful people could not approach a holy God. That's where it was in the Old Testament. That's where it was in 1445 B.C. Later on there would be, I already told you, there would be a magnificent temple Herod's temple is what they call it. it was, this is was the one that was around during Jesus' time. And, and this curtain, this veil would be made of blue and purple and scarlet woven linen. Figures of the cherubim were embroidered on it. It was behind the curtain that we find the most holy place. And remember, the most holy place was where God himself dwelt. His presence was. Only the high priest could enter the most holy place once a year on the Day of Atonement. This tabernacle, this holy place, this most holy place, all of this was put into full implementation, the sacrificial system. God put that all the way back in Exodus, second book of the Old Testament. We we, We read about that. Again, somewhere around 1450, 1454 B.C., 1445 B.C., somewhere in that. Why is that important? It's because somewhere around 1450 years later in the town of Bethlehem there was someone who was miraculously conceived and and came to life and for 30 years lived a pretty regular life as a father who was a carpenter but then came the time when it was time for him to in a sense reveal the fact of who he really was and for about 3 years he ministered here on earth, his name's Jesus Christ. And he healed people. And he delivered people. He had compassion on people. He showed them the holiness and the justice of God as well. And then it came time for the culmination of his life here on earth to happen. And that's what we celebrate here today. He lived and he was crucified. Look at this scripture with me, will you, on screen? From the sixth hour until the ninth, over the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, Lama Sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Just pointing to the obvious. When Jesus died on the cross, oh, there was the physical pain, a big nail to the cross. But think about the emotional pain, the emptiness, the distance between him and his father. It's like God, we're in, in. It's hard for us to understand because he was fully God yet he was fully man. So, fully man, he's feeling every bit of pain, the crown of thorns, all of that. He's feeling all that, and at the same time, he's God. At any minute, he could have ripped his hands off and they would have healed themselves up and he could have just came on and just struck everybody down and sent some plague. But he did that willingly for us. Think of the emotion of that. Think of, think of all that he carried physically. When some of those standing heard this, they said, ah, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them Ran and got a sponge, and he filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a stick, offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. Nobody killed our Savior. He willingly at that point said, okay, it's time. Why is that important? Let me just tell you something. Usually, crucifixions caused a person to lapse into a coma from the extreme exhaustion we say this often when it comes to Easter time, but you might, they, they often would asphyxiate. It wasn't so much the pain or, or anything else. It was because they couldn't breathe, and they're pushing themselves up, and they got to the point where they could no longer push themselves up to breathe, so they just had no oxygen, and they would, they would die that way. Jesus, however, he was completely conscious to the very end, how do we know that? Because he gave up his spirit. He was in complete control. His cry in a loud voice explained that his work was completed. And then verse 51. Ah, let's tie everything we talked about already this morning to the death of oh, Jesus. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split symbolically the curtain You remember the curtain the veil and that most holy place it's the thing that separated the holy place from the most holy place with the ark of the covenant where God's glory was that veil which was, we, we looked at in the tabernacle it, it became the temple that veil was torn when Jesus died what's the importance of that By tearing the curtain in two from top to bottom, God showed that Jesus had opened the way for sinful people to reach a holy God. The fact that it was torn from top to bottom it reveals a total break, a complete change in God's covenant by, by, by Moses with the people. Now Jesus is the new temple. He is our tabernacle. He is our temple. And a new age in the history of salvation had begun at that very moment. You and I now can boldly approach the throne of grace. We don't have to go through a priest. We don't have to go through the brazen altar and the cleansing of the labor and every other We can go straight in the holy of holies and come before a holy, awesome, powerful God. He says, come to me, all you who are labored, all you who are heavy laden, come to me. He wants us to come yes, we're sinners, but because of what Jesus Christ did for us once and for all, we can approach the throne of God. Through his death, Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice for our sin, tore back the curtain in the most holy place, and opened permanent access to God for all those who surrender their lives to him. I don't know about you, but I think that's pretty amazing. Hebrews chapter 10. By this death, by his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let's go right in the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him, for our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. How awesome is that? I don't know where you're at today, but I'm getting ready to ask you. What does this mean for me? God desires. First thing I want you to know is as we kind of put a a period a bit on on the tabernacle series, everything we saw in the Old Testament as we studied the tabernacle is what God wanted to be with his people. Even the tabernacle, God saying, I want to dwell with my people, was a foreshadowing of, of what Jesus did for us, right? Where Jesus came and he dwelt among us. He's like, I want to live with my people. And he did. Uh, some of you, you got to get past this idea that God's all the way out there. God would never come close to me. God doesn't, I'm not good enough. I'm not, you got to get past that because you'll never be good enough. And there ought to be a holy, reverent awe and respect of God. But there also has to be an understanding that he wants to know you. He wants to be near you. But what does that look like for us? Well, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. In the Old Testament, it was going to that brazen altar and the sacrifices and then the priest washing and then going into the holy place and doing all those things. But for us, the spotless Lamb of God once and for all gave his life so that we could draw near to God. And the Bible says he's the only way to get to God. So let me just talk to you heart to heart just for a second here. Listen. Some you say, Well, Scott, I've got a pretty good life. I'm doing okay. You know what? I got I've got a lot of friends or my my spouse and I, we're getting along pretty good. You know what? Nothing is perfect. Nothing's perfect, but you know, maybe you have kids and you're like, My my kids are doing good. I'm so proud of my kids. They just my kids, they they're very respectful, Scott. I mean I I I I get more than I deserve there. I just my, my kids are just, I mean, you, you're, you're just thinking to yourself as you think about your kids, how they respect their elders and their teachers are always saying, hey, I just so appreciate your kids because of this, this, and this. And, and you see, and, and maybe as a family, you serve out in the community somewhere, somewhere there, and we give of our time. We try to help that one old lady, the, the, the couple that's retired on our street, and they struggle sometimes. Maybe we just go shovel the driveway, or we, we do some, some things like this. God, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. I mean, I've, I feel I'm feeling pretty good about where we're at as a family, as an individual. Well, here's, here's the problem, though. Here's what you've got to realize. It's Romans 3.23 says this, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And what that means is that this guy has sin in his life. And all of us have sinned. You may have a great relationship with your spouse, a great family, a great kids, and you know, overall, there's respectful good, but here's the deal, if you don't have Jesus, if you haven't dealt with the sin issue, then there's no connection to God. All have sinned. And the wages of those sins, Romans six twenty three 23 says, uh, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God through Jesus Christ is eternal life. How awesome is that? Romans 5 verse 8, but God demonstrates his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The thought that while Jesus was on the cross, you were on his mind. He was thinking about me. Yeah, I got to do this for that Scott Miller guy. Yeah, I got to do this for each one it, that's the thought. Romans 10 verse 9 tells us exactly what we need to do. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, eh, you might be saved. Is that what it says? No, it says you will be saved. What do I gotta do? Hey, listen, you gotta you gotta drop the pride. You gotta get past the, the, the contentness of just having a good family and good kids. And, and even other people seem to co- commend you and, and your kids and your family. Oh, you guys have such a great marriage. And, uh, and you know, gotta get past just that. You gotta say, no, my kids are sinful. I'm sinful. All of us are sinful. And just like in the Old Testament, there's a God that wanted to dwell among his people, but there was a sinful people, and how is that gonna work? For the New Testament, for us today, Jesus made a way for that to work. But you gotta accept, you gotta repent of your sins, come clean, give your life to Jesus. Make him your Lord, your Savior. Jesus took what was off limits and made it accessible through his sacrificial death on the cross. And that's the offer available to you today. Will you receive it? Will you receive it? I got two people on my heart today that I want to pray for. In fact, would you just close your eyes as we can conclude here? If you could just keep your eyes closed, but can you just listen real close to what I'm saying? Because I'm going to ask two people to respond here. The first is uh, one thing that just stuck out at me all week as I was studying was this idea that Jesus wasn't just resurrected; He is the resurrection. He has the power of life and death in his hands. Wow. God has all the power you need to move in your life situation. What, what he needs is a willing heart, a surrendered heart. What he needs, and I'm talking to believers here today. I'm talking to those of you who've already put your faith in Christ. And you, you're there, you're like, I, I need God. What is it you need God to resurrect today? He is the resurrection. He can take just like that staff that was just a piece of wood and cause it supernaturally to bud and come back to life. Right now, some of you, your faith is dead, and God wants to cause that to bloom. In just a moment, I'm going to pray with you. But some of you, you have relationships with people that you love. Even as you, you think about this week and you're like, man, I wish we were getting together, but you can't stand each other. And I'm telling you, God wants to heal that wound if you'll allow him to. Some of you today, you're, you're struggling in a marriage, and you're like, I don't know, a year from now, if we're even going to be together. Some of you, you're, you're struggling financially. Some of you are struggling with decisions of life that are like bigger, bigger than anything you've ever faced before. Decisions that need to be made, and the pressure and the weight is so heavy on you. You're just like I just feel like I'm just I just feel kind of like Just dead emotionally Spiritually Um, I I believe the Lord Brought you here today For us to pray That that resurrection power Would come and fill you today If you need God To resurrect something In your life today With no one looking around right now Would you just respond Between you and the Lord right now Just throw that hand up in the air So I can pray for you You say I need a resurrection In something here I need a resurrection In something Thank you for your honesty Church can you pray with me Right now for those people God, I just pray right now. Come on, church. I just pray right now for every person that just raised their hand all across this room, probably others in the other parts of the building. I pray in the name of Jesus right now that you would step into a marriage, that you would step into the relationships, step into the health, step into the situation that they're facing right now. And I pray that as they submit themselves to you, because your word says this, submit to God, resist the devil, and he must flee. we got to have both of those. And so, God, we submit to you. We submit to your will. Ultimately, I know how I want to see this thing play out. Ultimately, I I understand what I want to see happen. But, God, ultimately, I submit myself to you, to your lordship, to your will, to your way. And I resist the devil. We stand against the power of the enemy, trying to destroy families, trying to destroy futures, trying to give depression and, and, and cause people to feel like there's no hope. And I pray today in the name of Jesus. I pray right now, God, that you would resurrect a love for one another. I pray you'd resurrect a love and out of a love for Jesus Christ that there would be patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control. I pray for anyone here today that is so sick of of giving in. They've sinned over and over and over and over again. They hate that they keep giving into that sin and they want victory over that. And I pray today, Lord, would you resurrect their relationship with you. Connect them, reconnect them with you. And out of that power and that resurrection power, would you come and raise them back to spiritual vitality and spiritual life? God, I pray it right now. We pray that right now. I pray specifically for marriages right now. I know the enemies come to steal, kill, and destroy. And I pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would bring healing and bring life, as your word says, bring life to marriages right now. God, as as that both involved would turn their lives completely over to you, submit to you, and out of that, that healing would begin to come. Lord, I pray it in the name of Jesus, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Would you just keep your eyes closed all across the building? I want to ask one more question. Have you given your life to Jesus Christ? What do I need to do? Confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you don't have to have a seminary degree you don't have to understand everything there is in the bible the main thing you need to know right now is that it's not even about you cleaning up before i ever come to jesus no you come to jesus and let his holy spirit clean you up today if you've never repented of your sins you've never come clean and said i know that i'm a sinner and i need to get right with god If you've never done that before, or maybe you have and you've fallen back on that commitment, I want to pray with you right now. So if that's you, you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, you're ready to pray that prayer, I want you to shoot your hand up straight up in the air right now. No one looking around just between me and you right now. Come on, just raise your hand if that's you. I'm ready to give my life to Christ. Thank you. Who else? I I understand it. Maybe for the very first time, I understand salvation. Maybe for the very first time, I understand my lostness. For the very first time, I understand my sinfulness. And I need Jesus Christ to come and help me to deal with that today. Anyone else? Just want to raise your hand. Just wave it at me so I can see it. Thank you. I see that hand. I'd like to invite everyone here this morning just to pray this prayer with me. Saints and And anyone who's given their life to Christ, I want everyone to pray this out loud with me. And if you if if you need to get your life right with Christ, you pray it the loudest. You pray it the strongest. You pray it straight from your heart. Come on, everyone, repeat after me, will you? Heavenly Father, I thank you that you sent your one and only Son to die for my sins. I admit today that I'm a sinner in need of forgiveness I repent I turn from all my sin and I walk towards Jesus I believe in Jesus Christ that God the Father raised Him from the dead I commit my life from this day on to serve Jesus Christ the rest of my life Save me, Jesus. I need you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.